0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a daff or so. We're now in the middle of the three weeks of mourning. Um, we're before the heavy mourning of the nine days, where we this whole process is thinking about, reflecting upon, and mourning. Originally, the destruction of the temple, but essentially the destruction of the possibility of an ethical society. We look around now at destruction and remember that Tisha was the day of destruction of the temple, but also the day of the birth of Messiah. Out of great destruction might come great salvation or redemption, and we can hope that that will be. So we are on 31B. We are, let's see, about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Eight lines, more or less, from the bottom, more or less, because we have to actually go over a little bit that we did last week. Um, And there will be a link in the um, show notes to, in the pod notes to, places you can find the DAF on Alatora, on Hebrew books, and on Sefaria. Support Sefaria. Does good work. So last week, if you remember, we ended off with Rav Nachman, even though he was, uh, Rav Nachman said, Ana achtine, Ana maskine, de and I, we, meaning beydin, put him down, and we took him up, meaning we put him on the land, and we took him off of the land, and we're not worried about the uh, honor of beydin, or ziluta Beitin is actually the dishonor of beydin, and then there was a whole thing about it, and uh, Rava. Challenged him and about this question of two witnesses who came testify. The woman was that a woman's husband had died, or that the woman was divorced, et cetera, and so forth. And Rav Nachman then said, "You can go back and listen to the last week's, the end of last week's podcast if you want to catch up on that." Uh, at the end, Rav Nachman said an interesting and odd thing. He said, "I was going to Paskin and." remove the person from from the 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 place, from the land. But because you guys challenged me, and because Rav Nuna from Syria challenged me, I didn't do it. And then, and then he went out and actually did do it. He said he did what he said he was not going to do. He said he took the person off the land, apparently. And somebody who saw it, ...thought that it was a mistake, Velohi, but it wasn't a mistake... ...but rather he was, depending on Ashli Ravavai, is actually strong or thick ropes... ...though it has traditionally come to mean uh, a strong tree. So, L'Tlot Bi'ilan Gavo'a is the Hebrew term that is usually translated... ...usually used as a translation, even though it's not a direct translation... He hung himself on a strong tree in a good sense. And that's what we finished last week. So now we're starting. Uh, This is eight lines from the bottom in the layout that was popularized by the brothers and the widow Ram in Vilna these 150 years ago. There I said it. It's not. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda, because there's a Mishnah, and and in that Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda said, Ein malin dechad. One does not bring somebody up. In other words, malin here is to bring somebody up, to bring up, to raise, but that doesn't mean physically raise. It means, it doesn't mean literally raise. It means somebody raise up in their status, raise somebody to the status of a Kohen on the word of one witness. Amr of Lezer, when is this the case? That's talking about only in the case where somebody's challenging this person, saying, you know what, this person, Yankel, is not a Kohen. So you can't be a Kohen, so he can't eat Truma. In that case, then you can't refute that challenge or raise the person to be a Kohen on the basis of one witness. Malin Lakuna Alpid Edechad. Rabbi Shimon Ben uh, Gamliel says, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Ben Askan, you actually can put somebody out, raise somebody to the status of a coin. By one witness. Then the Stam asks, Rabbishum and knew Hainu, rib-lezer. So, what's the difference between what Rabbishum and Gamliel now said that you're allowed to raise somebody to the status of a coin by way of one witness and what Rabbelezer said before, which is that you're allowed to, in a case where there are no challengers, you're allowed to raise somebody up to the status of a coin with one witness, they seem to be saying the same thing. I I know, so all you smart people are out there saying, wait, wait, it has to do with who, whether there are challenges. So the Islam asked the same question. And if you're going to say the difference between them is, is that there are there is one challenge, so maybe Rebbe Lezer, the, the, the dispute between them is that the Lezer says that you, there can be a challenge on the base of one person. So one person says, Yankel's not a coin. And that's enough. And then he has to prove that he has a coin. Rebbe Shimon Lil says, you need two, at least two people to challenge somebody's priesthood, somebody's kahuna. Bahama, Rabbi Yochanan, how could that be? Rabbi Yochanan says, Deberi Akol Pachot Yochanan says that according to everybody, you can't have a challenge with fewer than two people. So we all agree that you need a, two people to challenge. But what is actually the case here, right? And if you remember, we said that's when the stam is coming and it's turning around what's going on to make it fit what they want to happen. And this is actually a Gemara uh, that's borrowed from that's originally in Ketubot, where that Mishnah of Einmalin Lukuna Ela Alpi Ed Echad originally appears. Chazaka yaskinan. In what case are we talking about? Kegon demach zekinan le ba'avua da'hai dekohenhu. In a case where we had a chazaka, we had an assumption um, that this person's father was a kohen. Okay, so and a rumor started about this person that they were the son of a divorced woman or a woman who had refused levirate marriage, and therefore uh, they, they were taken off of the level of kahuna, they were uh, lowered from the kahuna, from the priesthood. And then one witness came and testified that they are actually kohanim, pure kahunim and not. The child of, of of a divorcee, etc., and uh, they were replaced. They were they were returned to the their status as being kohanim ko, or, uh, according to some of the manuscripts. Kohen gamur that they are complete, pure, full kohanim. And then two more came and said, "No, that's not true. This person is the son of a divorcee or a person, a woman who." Refused leverant marriage, and they took him down again. And then you had another witness who came and said, No, he's a coin. And according to everybody, these two testimonies come together as one testimony of two witnesses. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the question of whether we worry about the the dishonor of the Beidin because of this soap opera of he's a Kohen, he's not a Kohen, he's a Kohen, he's not a Kohen. So we're worried that now the Beidin are going, are, are worried about being uh, uh, dishonored. Rebbe Lezer says that since he was taken down, we don't raise him up again to be a Kohen. We're worried about the dishonor of Beidin. Anan achhtine, anan le, lo Gamliel said, we brought him down, we picked him up, and we're not worried at all about the uh, dishonor of the Beit So this is the Elan Gaboa or the Ashli Ravave, the larger authority, the higher authority, that Rav Nachman was relying on when he was Nafak Uvda, when he went out and he did what he did without worrying about the fact that uh might might look foolish. So, Rav ravashi attacked us. If this is so, so why does it say only one witness came and then another witness came? Even if it's two witnesses, it would be the same thing about Ziluta de About uh, the dishonor of the Beidin. No, that's not what we're worried about. Every nobody worries about dishonor of the court in this case. Rather, the dispute here, the machloket, the dispute here, is about whether or not you can attach two single testimonies to one testimony of two witnesses. But looked at the high and it's we are. This is framed within the disputation of. The following Tanaim, the Tanya, as it says in a edut, Kahad. In fact, their testimony, the testimony of two witnesses is not brought together as one until they both see whatever happened as one. Even if they saw the action one after another and that's not the one we're talking about, but, Their testimony does not hold up in a court until they testify. Both of them testify as one. (laughs) Rabbi Natan says that we hear the testimony of this guy today, and when his friend comes tomorrow, we'll hear his testimony tomorrow. Kind of like... Rav Huna is saying, but in a different case, Rav Huna said, remember last week at the top of if bed, that if you have witnesses, you have uh, witnesses that are contradicting each other. So each set of witnesses can come and testify by themselves. And that's a different case. But here we're saying that, so Rav Natan says that you hear the testimony of one witness today and another witness tomorrow, and they are mitzvah, if they come together as one testimony. And so that's actually what we're talking about, and that doesn't help us out at all. It's not a matter that's a proof for Rav Nachman to say, Zilutu l'beidina lo but um, in truth, Ravashi says, as a given, that the kuleyama lo, lo that nobody's worried about zilutu l'beidina. Now, so I just want to spend a little, you know, a couple of minutes here on the concept of Aninachtin and We raise up. We go down. We, we we lower. In which it's it's pretty obvious that the original place of that that concept is I don't know. If it's obvious. It's probable that the original place of that concept is in Ketubah, because there we're talking about maalin umaridin, which is actually the Hebrew translation of machtinan and maskinan, Machtinan and maridin from the word nechuta, and maskinan Asik, Nisak, Ma'alin, uh, and that was transferred here to our case. That's why it's not. It's it's kind of like here we're talking about taking a person away from the land or taking the land away from the person. It's not nec- It's not exactly machtinan and Maskinan. It's not exactly putting him down or putting him up. That the 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 directional directionality of those phrases actually doesn't doesn't really fit. But that's besides the point. The question is, this brings up. The question, which is more of a contemporary question, a question of appealing, right? What does it mean? And it's the question that some people that is called in, in contemporary conversation, Sophie Dean, the finality of judgment. So for example, when does a court stop listening to more testimony? So in the American system, fact-finding is generally a job for the trial court, not for appellate courts. In other words, when you go into court and in a, even in a murder case, it is the job of the trial court to find the truth. Like, what happened? Fact-finding. There is an exception, however, to this. It's not, it's not absolute. A finding of fact can be appealed on the grounds that it is quote-unquote clearly erroneous. The clearly erroneous standard is deliberately designed to give a great deal of deference to the findings of the court, but there is some latitude given to appellate courts to overturn factual findings when they are deemed to be clearly erroneous. So there is some with the room for facts which are for, for findings which were clearly erroneous, but on the whole, the trial court, the first court, is the court which um, finds, which is fact-finding. And my thanks to Nomi Stolzenberg-Myers, Professor Nomi Stolzenberg-Myers, who clarified that for me. So the question is: in rabbinic law, where there is no appeals court, when does the process end? Right? If you have that could be, in other words, if we want to put the Zilu to the Bedina, uh, the dishonor of the court, in another in other terms, is do we have an appeals process? Can we keep bringing more proof, more testimony? There is a an interesting text which intersects with our text, and that is the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, the third paragraph of Sanhedrin, Mishnah Chet, Kozman Ter Etadin. Any time a person brings a proof... He contra- we contradict the, we we knock down the judgment. So if a judgment comes down guilty, a person, whenever it seems, whenever the person, it seems, the person can bring new evidence, and and then the judgment is thrown out, and we sit again, and, and we see whether or not it is. So if they said to a person, if they said to a litigant, now the, they said to a litigant, this like unfolds here. Any proofs that you have, you should bring in the next 30 days. If he found it in within 30 days, we throw out the judgment. After 30 days, we don't throw out the judgment. Shimon Gamliel says, no, what's the guy going to do, what's the person going to do if he didn't find it within 30 days, but actually found contradictory proof after 30 days? They said to him, bring witnesses. He said, I don't have witnesses. He said to him, bring a proof. He said, I don't have a proof. And afterwards, after the time he brought proof or he found witnesses, This is considered as nothing. Once again, saying, What's this guy going to do? They didn't know that he had witnesses, or they didn't know that there was a proof. They said to him, bring witnesses. And he said, I don't have witnesses. Bring proof. And he said, I didn't have proof. But if he saw that the judgment was coming to an end, and he thought thought that he was going to be found guilty, so he said, you know what? Bring Plony and Plony, you know, Joe and John, and they will testify for me. Or he took some uh, proof out of his, pack, literally, afundato, out of his, you know, out of his back pocket. All right, this is nothing. So the question is here, here it seems, at least the first line, which is the more general line, kolzman shemiviraya soterat the absolute line, that seems to be the greatest proof for Rav right, that any time a person has a proof which can overturn the conclusion of the, the court, so then, he sh- then he should be allowed to bring it, and we throw out the conclusion of the court. So the question that is, why doesn't Rav Nachman bring that? Why does it have to say, Talia Ba'ashli b- Um And then goes on this whole long and convoluted um, discussion of this case of the Kohen being a Kohen or not being a Kohen. So it's an interesting question, and, and it seems that the connection between Rav Nachman's Psaq and the Mishnah in Sanhedrin is not direct, right? Rav Nachman's psach is more about, Rav Nachman is, is more, the Mishnah in Sanhedrin when it says, right, is talking about substantive law. In other words, it's saying that the difference is that uh, Rav Nachman is more interested in process. It doesn't make a difference what the substance is. It makes a difference that there is another witness or another proof. The Mishnah in Sanhedrin is about substance that there is more evidence, that can be brought to overturn the conclusion that we had now. So therefore, Reb Nachman's, the, the, the mission in Sanhedrin doesn't necessarily aid Reb Nachman because Reb Nachman's interest is in is in the process of being or not interested in the process. In other words, Reb Nachman just saying that we have to go ahead because there is another step in our in our process of fact-finding. And the mission in Sanhedrin is saying that it has to be. Actual facts, which we see by the last clause there that if somebody pulls like a fact, as it were, out of their back pocket at the last minute, we disregard that because it has to be substantive. So that's the difference between here and there. The other important, the other interesting thing is that there's also a, you know, a a conversation about ta'uyot, right? There's ta'ut bid'var mishnah, ta'ut bid'var halacha, which we have in Sanhedrin. In other words, there is what happens if a court makes a mistake in black letter law? There's a Mishnah that says this is forbidden, and the court says it's permitted. Or the Mishnah Mishnah says this person does this, they're guilty, and the court says they're innocent. As opposed to Bidvar Halacha, which means that there is in reasoning. You make a mistake in in reasoning. So those are different types of mistakes than what's going on here, because this is not a mistake here. It's another step in the process, or in the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, It's more evidence, and that's not a mistake. That's a changing of the reality, as it were, right? In other words, somebody brings more evidence, so then that's different than if you have a mistake, and what do you do when the court makes a mistake? This week's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Plugta, the original social conflict consultancy. Ever wonder how to resolve those awkward social situations where you were throwing a party, and you invite one person, but you meant to invite another person? And you really liked the one person, but you ended up inviting the person you really hated? because their names were really close and your fingers are really fat and they hit the wrong name and then you left a message and the wrong guy came to the party and now what do you do? Well, let me tell you. Plukta was created for just those situations. With their patent-pending Compson Bar Compson method and their JBID solutions, that is, just burn it down, you won't have to worry about these situations anymore. You will be able to enjoy your parties without the pesky people who just want to poop on your party. And the best thing is, the JBID solutions give you maximal deniability, so when things go south, you aren't even there. And now, for listeners of this podcast, a special offer. If you contact us through our website, www.plukta.com slash dafshui, you get half off on your first social disaster. That's www.plukta.com dofshui. All right, we are going on. And now we're going to get into the weird and wacky world of forged documents and whispering in the ears of the judge. How Ha'odam Havre right around the bottom of Lamed Bet Amonalef. Hau One person says to his friend, my boy Bayara, right now we're going back. So if you remember, we left the whole caseload of Hau d'armer We were in Zamar Shalabotay, Zelmar Shalabotay. And then we took, just now took a little detour. And now we're back to Hau d'armer A person says to their fellow, what are you doing in, in this land, in this piece of property? Amar Le.'" So he says to him, what are you talking about? I bought it from you, and here's, the, here's my deed. Here's my contract. He said to him, this is a forged document. Oh, my God. So this was obviously before, coming, came before the court of Rabbah in Shtar Zayfuh. And he bent over, and he whispered to Rabbah, the guy who was being challenged. You know what? Yeah, it is actually a forged deed. However, I had a good deed, a real deed, and I lost it. And I said to myself, I thought to myself, you know what? Or I said to myself, you know what? I'll just take anything and I'll bring it and and I'll have something to show. I'm a thinks about it, and says, Why should we disbelieve? What does he he gain by lying? If he wanted to, he could have just continued saying, this is actually a good deed. Rabbi Yosef said to him, Why are you relying on this deed? This deed is basically like a a fragment of pottery. It's nothing." It is forged. What are you even thinking about it for? Okay. So a couple of things here. First of all, there's a Rabba-Rava dispute in the manuscripts, though it's probably Rabba because it's Rav Yosef, right? Rav Yosef and Rabba appear together. Though it is interesting that, you know, consistently in some manuscripts, it's actually Rava in the Oxford manuscript, especially, and also in the Florence manuscript, once and not twice. Okay. That's neither here nor there for now, unless we were doing other things. But the question is, what do we mean by shtar a right? And why would Rabba take that seriously? So what is Rabba's argument? Rabba's argument is he could have said it's a good shtar. So based on that, more or less, starting with the riff of Fassi in the 11th century in Tunisia in Fez, Tunisia. That's why it's called Fasi in Fez, Morocco, and then he moved to, to Toledo in Spain. But in any event, in the Halakhot, the riff says, and then the Rash, and then the Rashbam, and the Adrama, ramah a whole bunch of people say that it's not actually a forged star, but it's a star amanan. What's a star amanan? A star amanan is a contract that you signed to say, "I am going to buy this piece of land, or you will sell me this piece of land." So it actually has the witnesses of a deem of, of of witnesses. Who say, you know, this is going, this is this is a future sale deed. So that is what he presented. So therefore, you have actual witnesses who are there. And apparently it was it was close enough to the language of a deed of sale that it could pass as a deed of sale. Right? So therefore, that's why Rabbah said why is he going to lie that he could have said this is a good star because it actually has the signatures of the witnesses. Now, there are some, some people say it's actually star zaifa, right? It's a real forged star. The Rashbam doesn't like that. Rabbeinu Hananel um, has that as a possibility. The Rambam, though, seems to go with that possibility. Maimonides in the Mishnah Torah says, Ho'il v'ilu ilu omer bishtaro sharem ukuyam hu hareze He goes with the Migo. He says, with Rabba. Behold, right. Since he could have said, since he could have, if he had wanted to, said about this deed that it is already upstanding, right? It is already, has already been um, certified. Um, it's believed. And and the, we don't take the field from him, and he just has to make a, take a shua an oath that he's not lying. So that's the the question of shtar which seems to, which is which is interesting because Rabba seems to just move on from the fact that there is a forged star here, right? And 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 it doesn't bother him and actually uses that as, as okay. And Rabbi Yosef, once again saying things like, you know, Malala Shakir doesn't work in this situation, just like we had before, Malala Shakir doesn't work in the case of witnesses. All right, next case. How A person says to his friend, "Havli Mea azuzi de masikna So, this case exactly parallel to the case before. One says to their fellow, "Give me a hundred zuz that I loaned you," and this is the deed. Right? Some masikna is in our printed editions. and some of the manuscripts, some the manuscripts have ozifna, which is another word for loaned you. The guy says, "No, that is a forged deed." Gachin lachish le'larava in shtar So he bent down and he whispered to Rava or Raba. All the manuscripts, most of the manuscripts have Raba. We'll go with Raba. The printed editions have Raba. Gachin the le'larava in so shtar He bent down and he whispered into Raba's ear. Yeah, it's really a forged document however I do I did have a real good deed but it got lost but and I said to myself in I will just grab anything in my hand and I will bring that. So Raba said what's he gonna lie for if he if he wanted to he could have said it's a, it's a, it's an upstanding star same exactly the thing before, Hai Chas Yosef says, what are you talking about? Why would you rely on this deed? This deed is nothing but a shard of pottery. So we have the structurally similar cases. However, the answer about whether or not the shtar works is the same, but different people end up with the money or the property. In other words, that the person demanding the property in the first case loses out. And the person demanding the money in the second case um, wins. The halacha is like Raba in the case of the land. The halacha is like Rav Yosef in the case of the money. So the halacha is like Raba in the case of the land. Because where the land is, it stays. And Lecha is like Rav Yosef in the case of the money. Because where the money is, it's In other words, we're not moving land or money. We're just that is the principle. The principle is that where the principle is stasis. Where the money is is where the money is. Where the land is is where the land is. And it's not um, the question of whether or not we're not. It seems that we're not really uh, the the case. The 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 decision in the cases does not turn on whether or not we believe that the star is a good star but rather it turns on the fact that the where the it's it takes more judicial strength to alienate money from the present owner of the money or of the land than it does to just leave it there okay hahu arva da hadli deparati la milva ilvach so now that now that we happen to be on money right here, before this we just had two Rabba Rav Yosef cases, one after the other, and now we're having a case that's appended to that because of the fact that it's connected. We'll see how in a minute, but we're going we're going in a somewhat surprising direction because we've been just about property, but there was an Arve. Now Araib is like a middleman in a loan. How Arva it literally means a, a guarantor, but here it's not a guarantor so much as somebody who helps make the payment, the repayment of the loan. So this Arave who said to the borrower, give me the hundred zuz that I repaid for you to the lender. And here's the deed that I repaid. Amar Love lav paratich. Lav paratich. Did I, as he says back to him, did I not repay you? Amar love Hadrat shkaltinu minai. He said, no, because you, once you paid it back to me, then you took it from me again. Shalcha Rav Idi Bar Avin Lakame de Abayas, so Rav sent this case to Abaya. Kia Gavna Mai, what do we do in this kind of case? Shalach Le Abaya Maiti Abaya sent back to him, What do you want from me? Ha Ihu da Amar Hilchata Kivate de Rabba Barab Hilchata Kivate de Rav And isn't it you, isn't it, it's saying in the third person Ha Ihu, but isn't it you, Rav Idi Bar Avin? Who said that the halacha is like rabba in land and the halacha is like Rav Yosef in money, meaning what Rav Yosef said, um, that the shtar is chasba ba'alma, So, therefore, in other words, that the, the money stays with, with the guy who has the money. Where the money is, that's where it should stay. So, in other words, the Arab has no basis on which to demand the money back from the lender and this is what we're talking about when it said when he said that you borrowed it from me again aval but if he had said to him you once again borrowed it from me because the coins were. Smudged out, were, were were wiped out, or they had become red, and therefore they weren't. They they were they became worthless or worth less. Um, still, so in that case, the star, the 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 star, still held its powers. So in other words, if you're saying that you had a whole new transaction here, and the lovet had paid back the money to the Arayv, but then borrowed it again. So that original deed is worthless because he claims that he paid it back. However, if he hadn't borrowed it again, but rather just gave him back, just took the money again because the the, the hundred zoos that he had had been smudged, right? Or they'd been worn down and couldn't be used. So then it wasn't a new loan, So in that case, the shiabud of the original loan, the lien of the original loan, the legal power of the original loan is still in place. All right, we're going to finish here and we'll take it up again next week. Thank you so much for being with me for this time and this DAF. My name is Arye Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. I want to thank, as always, the DAF Shui team, my Haruta Shalata van Robert, my amazing producer, Eli Unger Sargon, who makes this podcast intelligible and listenable, and the graphics team of Shachar Cohen-Hodas. Be well, be healthy. If you enjoyed what you heard today, give me a rating on uh, the Apple Podcast. More people will be able to find it easier that way. Or at least that's what it says. And in any event, will make me feel better. Leave a comment so I know that you're what you what you think of the podcast, or if you have any feedback on the podcast. Tell your friends. If everybody tells somebody, we'll have twice as many people next week, and the sounds of Torah will resound across the land. Stay healthy, stay well, see you next week.